there is a myth that great art is only born out of great suffering. Frida Kahlo perhaps would have never painted such powerful works, or even begun to paint, if not for the horrible accident that crippled her and caused suffering for the rest of her life. John Milton penned Paradise Lost after losing his wife, his daughter, and his eyesight. Growing up in a post-Soviet country, I often heard musings that artists had been much more creative when they had to find ways to evade the Soviet regime in censorship. Many people felt that with the independence and eventual welfare, artists became too comfortable and numb. The world of today is the world of angst. Publishing industries booming with stories about anguish, trauma and personal suffering. Does this global condition add to our creativity or reduce the human experience to a symptom? And how do Finns, a famously desolate nation, fit in this picture? Can Finnish literature teach us something about coping? This is Literature from Finland podcast. I'm Urde from Helsinki Literary Agency. And in this episode, I will be asking the Finlandian-nominated author Mario Niemi how exactly anxious characters can enrich our lives. Welcome, Maria. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. It's very nice to talk about angst, for example. <laughs> the introduction uh, and the theme of this episode sound a little gloomy, so I want my first question to be about humor. Your newest fiction book called Hearing begins with the main protagonist shutting down in a small closet and writing frantic letters to various addressees. These letters are partly confessions, partly reflections on creativity, authorship, and the general condition of a contemporary human. But there's also dark humor and, and irony in them. The book really feels like a mockery of our narcissistic, self-centered culture. Do you feel that dark, laconic humor is embedded in the Finnish character, and that Finnish writers and artists in general often lean on humor when dealing with angst? Well, um, first of all, I would like to say that angst is is very wonderful theme. I was I was happy when I, when I read <laughs> it. It's a, uh, um, uh, in a way, theme for this conversation. Um, it's, it's very familiar to me, and I don't think it is gloomy at all, because to me, angst is a part of existing as a as a creature that realizes how accidental and random everything really is, uh, I think angst is the part of, of this exi- existing in this world without God. So it is one of the basic feelings uh, a human being has. But your question about this dark humor and Finnish writers and characters, I think there is a touch of shame in, in Finnish attitude. Mm. You have to flavor, in a way, your suffering with a with a little bit humor, uh, if you only can, because moaning is not so loud in in mm. in Finland, as you might know. But I see beauty in this in this geyser of humor that you know showers from the land of this thick angst, and to me as a reader, 
I really, really love humor that that is born under this kind of hard circumstances, where there is no <coughs> other way, maybe left than than laughing. And um, as a writer, the humor is um, humor is a good instrument also to tell that the character has a little bit of a leeway before a final abyss. And of course, humor makes writing more fun (laughs) (laughs) and reading as well and i really like what you said about finnish people sort of embracing or how you started this episode that angst is not necessarily a gloomy Mm. thing that it's sort of if you embrace it as a human experience that it can be very uh, rewarding uh, your books uh, often feature narrators um, experiencing extreme anxiety and distress But to me, more than ever before in your fiction, the narrator of hearing felt like an allegory to to any person, and especially young person, uh, in the world at the moment. Uh, It's like we're all sitting in in our small closets and and the world is just falling apart onto us and and we're just screaming, like, hear me and help me. What do you think about this interpretation? Does Tita, the main protagonist of hearing... um, does she represent the state of mind of all of us? Yeah, <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe a bit, and that's that's uh, nice that you pointed this young person uh, because um, I think nowadays even old persons <laughs> are are dealing with the same kind of uh, prob- problems in a way. The prob- problem seen than than the young persons but hearing absolutely happens in this world now and uh, 15 years ago Paul Paul Verhege a Belgian professor of psychoanalysis wrote about time of loneliness and and meant sorry for my simplification but the uh, the time after religion based norms and laws and time after authorities and that uh, that empty space, in a way, leaves you alone, wandering forever between different possibilities or different options, like a newborn Hamlet or or person or character like that. Mm. But um, the commun- communities are, are weaker, and individuals should be stronger. And and usually, it isn't so. <laughs> but <laughs> in the in the end, there's there is only only yourself and and maybe your reflection in a mirror and this is where my book begins mm. and there's a woman alone in a room and and then she orders mirrors for for each wall mm. i have to say that i'm very pleased that our culture is is nowadays less based on religion mm. but here we are now and we are building our identities and Searching something to lean on and Precisely. something to believe and <laughs> something <laughs> we want some somebody to see us and we we find some someone to love or in the middle of of these thousand possibilities or so they say. Um, and of course, at the same time, there have been people who who don't hesitate, who don't problematize so much, and people who want to benefit from this free space and. They have started to walk in a way backwards. I mean, the new rise of, for example, populism and and even fascism and dictators in the in the Western world. Yeah. 
And the main character of my book, this Tita, is absolutely trying to create some structure and, and attention, uh, searching for attention, and, and she uses letters to do that, which is a very foolish and old-fashioned <laughs> way, but <laughs> she's uh, searching, searching for stable ground from love, from art, from, from father, from religion and therapy and work and nature, and and finally uh, from money. So she's trying to build a product to, of of herself and product that has has maybe something some some meaning some use or some future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really happy that you mentioned this world without religion and sort of the world without a clear belief system, or at least that's how we often feel nowadays. And I feel that the text structure of hearing is exactly. Uh, reflects that kind of fragmented world because the text is also a bit messy and frenzy and, and nervous in a, in a way. And um, how do you think that kind of world affects literature and how does it affect art? It's a good question. <clears throat> do you think that with uh, how you talked about Dita and, and about hearing uh, that with art and literature we exactly maybe try to construct that belief system or new belief system. Mm. Yeah, there is more communication in this world than uh, than ever. It, it often looks like a dialogue, but it turns out to be this <laughs> endless queue of monologues. But <laughs> people, there's so many words and so much noise and a lot of effort and yet so little connection. And, and I think this is this is the... What what feels like, uh, like time of loneliness? What Paul Verhek mm. was written about, and and but but that's that's what I th- think makes art even more important. Maybe just now, because it's it's about finding connection in the world of isolation. Um, because communication and and ways to connect to each other, how to build communities, and what to build them on. Mm-hmm. They are all, all of these things have changed so much, and I th- tend to think that this is a good moment for an author, because art is also communication, and making or taking art has much to do with connection. And you said earlier, mm, mentioned that hearing has this fragmentary nature. Mm. It is. However, a book with a plot, and yeah. <laughs> but the but the reader is under the narrator's autocracy, autocracy, and uh, the reality, though, in this in this novel is leaking in the middle of the narrator's letters, and those leaks are, in a way, giving hints about what's going on. And I wanted to give this different kinds of information simultaneously and use different language registers also use dissonance as a tool because that's uh, how I feel that the reality is 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 so much right now mm. and writing this novel the present was absolutely my muse mm. right um, did I, the narrator of hearing tries and eventually claims to have succeeded in becoming an artist. Her letters address the predicament of a woman artist, a 
queer artist and the anxiety of authorship. And I think throughout the book, she too experiences that tortured artist moment I mentioned in the introduction. Her artistic moment is born from great suffering. As a very versatile artist yourself, what do you think about this myth of tortured artists? Does wealth, for example, or comfortable life somehow numb artistic creativity? Well, um, I think there is a, a thin, thin line between what keeps you awake and what just wears you out. But I don't think that wealth numbs creativity um, I think your artistic voice of course changes according to how far you are from the fall or mm. how safe you happen to be or feel this can mean many many circumstances like circumstances inside of you or around you political circumstances financial financial circumstances and so on but I think that especially more queer and female authors have become numb because of lack of wealth, support and credit than because of getting too much of them. Mm. And poverty or lousy circumstances can make you very incapable of creating in, in many ways. And poverty makes a person very busy yeah. and writing needs time around it and while writing, you really can't know where it leads you. So it's taking a risk every time. And and um, somebody probably don't have a like possibility to choose risk. Yeah, yeah, precisely. In, in, in certain circumstances. So you, you can never know, uh, does, it, does the writing lead you to a masterpiece or to a dead end? But but maybe the laziness is it is something to be afraid of. Mm. There has been a uh, there there has to be a huge itch to write a book. If you if there isn't, you you should one one should not bother. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. In hearing you mention Marina Abramovich to quote a person who successfully turned her pain into business. This is exactly how I often feel when I think about the global literary trends of today. Monetizing personal suffering is exactly what made authors like uh, Karl Uwe Knausgård global bestsellers. Um, But it is far from self-evident that such books, um, especially in case of memoirs or autofiction, will always manage to achieve some sort of cultural or historical contextualization and reveal anything else in the private life or or the private experiences of that particular person, of the narrator. So why do you think eventually readers are still drawn to such personal suffering stories and suffering characters? Yeah. Maybe maybe suffering squeezes out some some marrow of, of being a human or Maybe it comforts us to see that someone is suffering too, not just us. And maybe, maybe when someone is suffering, they don't they don't lie so much. Is is, is someone more present while suffering? 
Authors have, I think, authors have always written about suffering. Also, of course, that's not only <laughs> only subject, right. but ways are many to write about uh, about about suffering. Um, perhaps writers these days tend to focus more on on individuals, whereas earlier the picture was probably wider in most cases. Mm. Maybe there were more books about societies and groups mm. and their suffering and, and it doesn't surprise me that that the focus is tighter nowadays because it is all about individuals yeah and there's they their stories but uh, i don't know maybe it's it's natural and and maybe it's good for a human race that the sometimes we zoom to individuals and sometimes we zoom like right. wider bigger bigger groups book critic her parole Siegel also wrote about this infatuation with trauma narratives in in recent article in the New Yorker and in her opinion this is a narrative that fiction writers and filmmakers can't resist and exactly what you said that that has been happening for for many years um but it's also wearing thin basically getting a little boring what do you personally as a writer discover through traumas of your characters why do traumas and tra- traumatized characters always feature your books I have to say that I don't get bored of characters in pain or <laughs> dramatized <laughs> characters. I really, I really uh, much love and and in a way need to read about characters under massive stress and and what they think about under that stress and what 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 they do. And it doesn't mean that it's uh, some kind of uh, same texture or same atmosphere in every every book. It's Of course, drama narratives can be boring if they are badly written. So <laughs> sometimes I'm, um, as a reader, also getting bored of some hardcore stories about pain. And and but then I then I read something else. You you really can't maybe read Alfred Jelinek every day, you know, or or, mm. or watch Hanukkah's movies during a breakfast. Or <laughs> I don't know. That's good that there's there's lots of different kind of art available all the time yeah i'm I'm writing mm, that that's true what you said that i'm writing these these kind of characters who are traumatized in a way or another because mm, i want to understand and, and trauma is in a way a good tool also um, a character in a way needs traumas because traumas can be seen like a seeds that are growing like acts and action around them in a story or in a, in a book you can <coughs> you can write um, about trauma so in so many ways and um, trauma can behave in very and many strange ways I find it very fascinating that's something I I'm I'm, I'm interested of in but but because literature is 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 language so a good or interesting subject simply isn't enough and even if the subject is horrifying or 
them, you know, even though it's 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 something very interesting, it is nothing yet unless uh, unless it is like well written. Um, yeah, there is there is the, like journalism and nonfiction and documentary movies, all kinds of ways to tell about traumas and horrible sto- life stories or such. If you if you need to tell your own naked story mm. or someone's naked story, but I think fiction must be something more. Um, I need something more, and I don't. I don't really care if it's if it's really happened or. <laughs> good art is always real, even even if the plot or character are fiction. If it is, if 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 the art is good, I think it is, in a way, real. Mm. It's it's about, in a way, being present in the text. I can't explain it better, yeah. but it's it's about. Some someone someone just has the uh, gift of of being being present in in text. I I, know, I can't understand uh, uh, explain it better. But yeah, I have this um, Matti Pulkinen, who is a Finnish author, has said that um, author can invent, lie, or borrow whatever but the feelings, and you. That that you can't transmit a feeling you haven't felt yourself, and that's right. why oneself is the most important material for a writer. Right. I I I see a see a, uh, wisdom in that. Right. Right. Precisely. Thought, but <clears throat> I don't know. Just having a really bad itch and trying to find the right language to impress it, it gives you a good but hard place to write and maybe traumas are, are one 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 of the causes <laughs> to my itches. Yeah. That in in that kind of place there is enough tension, you know, you need the you need enough tension to write. There has to be this big struggle that I need to write, but how and and Samuel Beckett has said it beautifully that I can't write and anything, but I must can't and must that's my situation and i i think that's also my situation very often <laughs> as a writer yeah 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 do you feel that it's also part of um uh, finding healing just just the writing about trauma you, you know you now talked about fiction about documentaries movies any art that expresses trauma in one way or another is this um for an artist, let's say, is this sort of a necessary step uh, towards healing? Now we are walking uh, to the question that why <laughs> someone is writing. Um, I don't know. Um, I think that I, I know that I've, I've heard one psychoanalyst said that writers say that they are just writing, but they are doing analysis, <laughs> no <laughs> right. matter what they say. Of course, we are dealing with the with the f- own own feelings and subjects as well, and and that's very lovely if if some healing is happening mm. <laughs> uh, as an extra bonus. Yeah, you know that comes comes aside with the with the wonderful novel, but. I don't know. I don't really know. You know, 
I think it's 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 a subject for um, maybe another discussion or yeah. something because it's a it's a large right. question. What kind of connection is there between the personal trauma of your characters and the society? What does your characters' anguish say about our time and about Finland, about Finnish culture, Finnish society? Uh, I think everyone needs to be seen and uh, everyone needs to, a real connection to other to the other person and and to the community and hope comes in many forms that's that's maybe mm-hmm. something that I think about about my book and our time and and Finland right yeah <laughs> do you think we talked about humor in the in the beginning and especially Finnish humor um do you think that Finnish literature in particular can help us find coping mechanism are there uh are there any Finnish authors that help you to get through tough times mm, I don't I don't think that art should have these kind of qualities because it it isn't like a doctor or or therapy or massage or but but I really love art I I enjoy it and I need it it comforts me and it it irritates me and it makes me laugh it is it it, it is disgusting me and I, I hate it and I miss it and it makes me cry and makes me think So maybe art is a coping mechanism itself. Mm. It keeps us awake, and absolutely, there there are very many Finnish authors that has helped me uh, uh, during times like Monica Fagerholm, for example, and Sirka Turkka and Eva Lisa Manner. These kind of wonderful poets and. Lots of lots of writers, right, right. So to finish, uh, who is your current literary crush? Uh, it, I'm very surprised to say that it is Rachel Kosk. Uh, <laughs> I never thought she would be my literature, <laughs> my my crush. But uh, I read her novel trilogy last year, and I was very surprised by her. Uh, kind of elegant way of painting an, an open wound to into a reader's brain or mm. yeah, I was I was I was confused. It was so weird. Um and just a while ago I <coughs> sorry I read her novel The Second Place and which is just now translated. Yeah. And I'm I'm still confused about it i feel some some closeness to rachel kosk's way of thinking and i'm not sure if i like it or not <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's i have to think about rachel kosk more but this is a wonderful position to read mm. that that um I have these ambivalent feelings. Yeah. Oh, that's that's true mm. love there. Yeah. <laughs> What was the most uh, surprising book that you've recently read? I think it must be the second place, or or maybe maybe some Helen McDonald's. Yeah, 
But yeah. the second place was absolutely most surprising book. Yes. Yeah. Which author or book never fails to make you laugh? Well, we have this wonderful poet and prosaist, this Eino Santanen in, in Finland. Okay. I, I'm hoping he would be widely <coughs> translated, but uh, he makes me laugh. <laughs> his books and and then there's this Eva Turunen who, who whose debut debut novel also is hilarious and and then there's this Heinrich Böll and Thomas Bernhardt that that are my best friends <laughs> during <laughs> bad times yeah they're they're lovely thank you Maria Niemi this was literature from Finland brought to you by Helsinki Literary Agency and hosted by me Urte special thanks to Petri Latvala for the design and Alessandra Dana for the music and to all the colleagues at the agency don't forget to tune in next episode <laughs>